0: How I know Jesus is God. Well, I'll tell you this much. This is how I know um, when some, I'm just going to say some because it's better when you're general when talking about your kids, how some of my kids are not telling the truth. This is just how some, I won't name any of them. Uh, If you're keeping track, our 15-year-old now is pushing 6'5". If you haven't seen Elliot lately, um, you wouldn't even know that's Elliot. He's our middle son. He looks more like um, just the big son. Uh, he's, he's enormous, and the basketball coach at his high school is very excited at the possibilities. <laughs> um, he asked me if we can wrestle, and my answer is um, never. <laughs> and the reason for that is my back will get hurt, and then I won't be able to play golf. So that's not an option. He is allowed to pick me up now because it's like a backstretch. He literally picks me up and holds me in the air. And I'm like, don't let me down. This is good. This feels so nice. Like that's where I'm at. So who knew that having a tall son had so many advantages to helping lower back pain. Um, now the 17 year old, I'll fight him any day. Hey, guys, 6'1", 110 pounds, you know, it's like, get over here, show you how to wrestle like a man, you know, that's funny, Uh, that's not in my notes, wait a second, I don't have any, all right, Um, here's how I know some of my kids aren't telling the truth, this goes back to like when they you know, did Crayon on the Walls. Anybody in, in Crayon on the Walls kind of season of parenting? Yeah, Crayon on the Walls. May God help you. May the Holy Trinity be with you, um, right? The Crayon on the Walls was it was my undoing. And I'm very particular about uh, any smudges or smears or stains or, uh, I don't know, markings on my actual walls. Uh, so Grace, uh, sorry, one of our kids did that a lot, um, And I learned very quickly how to know when that child wasn't being truthful. It's called a lack of eye contact. I love love kids so much because they're not good at lying. But I learned that uh, one of my kids doesn't make eye contact. So I would ask this child like, hey, what happened here? And they start doing this. Well, um, actually dad, I don't even really know. And, and, and I love being a parent, and I, I feel like Sherlock Holmes in a way. You know, you're like, you're lying, and I know it. Now, my favorite thing, here's a little trick for Christian parents. Are you ready? Here's a little trick for Christian parents. My parents did this, and it worked like a charm. This is Easter Sunday, and I'm giving out free parenting tips because I'm totally done parenting. No, I'm not. I'm in the most difficult season of my life, 17, 15, and 13. If you're not praying for me, you don't love me. I'll tell you that much right now. And pray for Chelsea as well, but mostly me. Um, But my dad would say this. He did. And Chelsea, you know this is true. My dad would say, Judah, God will tell me if you're lying. Now, what he meant was he could read my tells. You know, like, and God did talk to my dad. He did. He was the pastor of this church, for goodness sake, right? He did. But like, now I know what a parent means when they say that. They're saying, you know, God could tell me, and he may very well tell me. And I'm sure there are moments where God does tell parents, your child's lying. But I think generally speaking, parents just learn when their kids are lying. And then like, God told me. So this has happened a few times in uh, 17 years of parenting. I'll look at a child and be like, God told me you're lying. And they start weeping. You're right. I'm lying. I'm like, God will always tell your father. <laughs> and all it was was no eye contact, you know. But so Christian parents, please use that. It's a wonderful tool. And we call it, you know, prophecy. God will give me a prophecy about your lying. I will know. I think all three of our kids are convinced that if they ever lie, God's gonna tell mom and dad. It's a pretty good setup if you think about it. But if you've ever had kids, or a dog, I do know when my little Louie is lying too. I can tell when he's lying. Louie, did you go to the bathroom here? Yeah, that's you, or was that one of the kids? You know? That was funny to me. All right, (laughs) there were times where it wasn't just puppies making messes in the home. Do you remember those times, that season? Buddy, what's all this brown stuff in your crib? You know, did you get into the chocolate? Okay. How do I know Jesus is God? There's tells. There's actually portions of scripture that will reveal to you his divinity. I Got into a deep conversation this week with some friends who are kind of deep thinkers, and we all got around a table, and we were having kombucha, and, uh, with no alcohol and we were drinking kombucha and we're sitting around a table and we're having these deep thoughts. And someone I think brought up like, what is life all about? And this is where it kind of stinks being the pastor. Cause anytime like biblical worldview concepts, everyone around the table is like, and pastor, what do you think? And you kind of feel like you got to have like a scripture ready and not like a quote from like Mark Twain or something. So you're like, ah, well. Jesus said, you know, and everyone's like, and what did he say? And, and, then, and I hate this follow-up question. What, what passage is that, pastor? And I'm like, I'd tell you, but I want you to look for it. <laughs> <laughs> Which means I have no idea. Um, but we started getting to this deep conversation of what is all of this actually about? And, and my explanation was very simple. I said, it's, it's the story of glory, at the risk of sounding cliche because those words rhyme, it's the story of glory. What is glory? Glory is the essence of who God is. Remember, Moses said, I want to know who you are. God's response to this ancient figure, Moses, was, I'll let all my glory pass before you. His glory is his goodness. His glory is the essence of his character. His glory is understanding who he really are, who he really is to his core. And I want to remind you that what we're a part of is called the story of God. It's, it's not just the United States of America. It's not planet Earth. It's not the moon, the sun, the stars, all of this actually orbits around God. All of it is orbited around God. Gravity, it orbits around God. It obeys God. All the laws of the universe, it's all about God. It's about God revealing himself to the centerpiece of his creation, and the centerpiece of his creation is you. Now that doesn't mean that you are the main character, because God is the main character, because the main character is the character who's always been and always will be. So it's always been about him. He breathes stars and Existence. He speaks words and rivers and lakes and oceans appear instantaneously. The animals, the the firmament, the soil, the ground, it all understands that there is a divine being who is the breather of life. He is the source of all life and he invented us, he designed us, he created us, and he knew us before we started the formation in our mother's womb, the Bible says. Furthermore, before the foundation, of the world the lamb was slain God always put this into motion but keep in mind your marriage your children your career your eating your sleeping and your getting up are all metaphors and portraits of who God is you understand that God is teaching you who he is through your marriage God is teaching you who he is through your job. God is teaching you who he is through your finances and the journey that happens there. God is showing you that he is a provider. He's showing you that he's a lover. He's showing you that he is a wooer and a a, 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 a romancer. He's he's revealing, he's showing you that he's an artist and and a creator, like you can just watch a hummingbird hover And your brain can implode at the thought of this intricate, detailed artist who designed the hovering hummingbird. It's all his story, all of this, and oh, by the way, this is the fastest way he could reveal his character for a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day what one person asked me in that kombucha group he said why do you think god did the old testament and the new testament and the thousands of years and all of these things and i said i got the hunch maybe just my opinion this might just be the most efficient effective way god could reveal himself to his creation because maybe the last 6 to 7000 years have been like 6 to 7 days to god Life is a vapor. I believe that in a way, my dad is in eternity, the former pastor of this church, and yet I believe we arrive to eternity probably right around the same amount of time, even though there is no time, but it's the way that we try to quantify it here when we are bound to linear time and space. Oh, my brothers and sisters, well, let us come together and reason. Let us consider the brevity of life. Let us consider how significant the few moments we have on earth are. But please do not get intoxicated. Do not allow yourself to treat this life as if it is eternal, for it is not. It is finite, and it is fleeting, and it is a vapor, but we will be home soon, and this is not home. We are here today to discuss Jesus. We're here today, but, but it must all be taken in context. It must all be taken in a sober-mindedness, which informs me that, like most preachers on days like these, I am implored to make application to your everyday life, and yet I hesitate to do so, though I believe that your bills are important and God cares Though I believe gas money is out of control, and we all need Elon Musk to send us a car (laughs) or take us to space. I want to remind you that life is more than your errands, it's more than a bonus, it's more than a raise at your job, it's more than good food, good drinks, and good sex. Life is a vapor. So then what matters most, preacher? Why are we really here? Because it must be more than the American dream. And though we will persist and though we will continue to fight for true equity and justice, I want to remind you that the ultimate justice of God is that every man, woman, boy, and girl has access to the creator and the king of all life. And we have that through Jesus. And the kings and presidents that temporarily rule over temporary continents and countries, their rule and their reign will also be a vapor. So though we are to pray for the temporary kings and the temporary presidents, there is one who is eternal. And his justice has been executed and everyone is welcome at his table. I am, like I said, this is not in my notes, but then again, I don't have any notes. And every time I come to Kirkland, I miss you and I can't wait to see you and my heart gets full and I'm 21 minutes in and none of this was in my prepared thoughts, (laughs) but I'm passionate that we are a sober-minded community and not drunk on ourselves, our careers, our pains, our problems, and our opinions. <laughs> I-, I love you, America, but this life is not about America. This life is not about countries and continents as much as it is about God. So where is he? Who is he? What is he doing? And what is he saying? And what does he want us to know? Here's how I know Jesus is God. Here's how I know Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. I want to tell you today why I believe that Jesus was the ultimate revelation representation and full disclosure of who god is jesus says you if you've seen me you have seen the father he says the spirit form of me will come and he will seek to reveal me he will speak of me he will tell you the things i taught and what i meant So the Father commends the Son. The Spirit reveals the Son. Jesus is the culmination of the revelation of God. When we wonder what would God do, when we wonder what would God say, when we wonder what would God be involved in, we look no further than Jesus. Who who was Jesus with? Who did Jesus go out of his way to care for? Who did Jesus speak with? How did he speak with certain people? When he came up against religious people exclusively, people who were making the known church of that day an exclusive accessed community what did he say and when he met drug dealers and prostitutes what did he say because we too should say the same thing we too should live the same the same way Jesus is the study. Jesus is the story. Jesus is the focus. Well, how do you know Jesus is God? I'll give you three reasons. The first is his teachings. It's his teachings. It's his teachings. From what I understand, if you Google books about Jesus, you will discover currently there's about 17,000 books written about Jesus. When considering the amount of time that Jesus taught, it was quite literally only approximately three years. When you count up the amount of sermons Jesus actually on record taught, there are only arguably a handful. When you consider the access or how should I say the social opportunities afforded a a poor man born in a barn in Bethlehem, you would have to argue that Jesus had to, well, go out of his way to actually be a recognizable, herd person because he was not a king. He was not royalty. He did not have power and money at birth. He was born in a, in a no-name town that had no consideration and no impact on the known world or the powers of the world. He was not born in Rome. He was not even born in Jerusalem. He was born in Bethlehem. He was not born to an aristocrat. He was not born to a, a, a social butterfly. He was not born to a royal family or a wealthy family. He was born up under suspicion. He was born having said that Mary got pregnant from another man and it wasn't Joseph. Joseph was so convinced of the story that he told Mary, or he told, uh, uh, we, we learn in scripture that he has plans to break off the engagement because he doesn't want to be engaged to a woman who was impregnated by another man. Who is this Jesus whose teachings still are pervasive in 2022, and yet we see no actual trend in his life that would tell us He's going to be a world changer. No one's quoted more than Jesus. No one uses any other God's name in vain. He separated time and space as we know it. We use his birth, his death, to gauge where we are in linear time and space. You're going to have to decide what you do with this Jesus. And then upon further investigation, this man seems either out of his mind or exactly who he says he is. His teachings have shaped countries. His teachings have informed the structure of governments. His teachings still inform the highest thinkers and philosophers and professors alive today who who is this jesus who is this jesus it's it's you know you know that you are impacting people when what you taught 2000 years ago is so accepted that people stop giving you credit because it's just become a part of the vernacular of the culture <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself is almost a cliche now, it's so pervasive. Think about the statements of Jesus that have been so proliferated and popularized. He, his teachings are unlike anyone's teachings ever. Peter once was asked, when disciples were walking away from Jesus, if you remember, all of his teachings were great, but they weren't always sensical. They weren't always easily understandable. Remember when Jesus said, he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. (laughs) Well, that really confounds those who simply see Jesus as a wonderful, kind, gracious, gregarious man who taught wonderful teachings of goodness and love, except he literally said, drink my blood and eat my flesh. Problem. If any professor at any respectable institution got up on one day of their philosophy class and said, all of my students need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Harvard would have no place for that professor. And yet Jesus is celebrated amongst all the great thinkers. No, he is either God or he's not a great thinker. He said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people walked away. I bet they did. I bet they did. Jesus turns to the 12, namely Peter, the oldest of the 12, and he says, will you leave? And Peter articulates the profound impact of the teachings of Jesus by saying, where else am I going to go? For when you speak, I feel life in my body. He basically was saying, Jesus, you don't talk like anybody else I've ever known. When you talk, my hair stands up. When you talk, my soul leaps. When you talk, my brain seems to be exhilarated. I can't explain what happens to my body and my brain and my soul, but when you talk, and that's why Mark's gospel records that the common folk who listen to Jesus, they said his teachings were a delight. Yeah. That is not to say all of his teachings made sense. For many times, the mob and the crowd would be confounded by the content of Jesus, but they were saying when he spoke, they felt delight in the deepest core of their being. It is the teachings of Jesus I have come to present again today to you, church, for it is his teachings that have persuaded me that the man from the Middle East who hung on the middle cross, who left a borrowed tomb three days later, is God. No one talks like Jesus. (laughs) No one talks like Jesus. Uh, One of my kids said the other day, we're doing a family Bible reading plan. I don't want to (laughs) brag. It's what makes my family better than yours. (laughs) Things preachers say that kind of insinuate that. But anyways, um, we are far from better than yours. I'm I'm 12 days behind in my Bible reading plan. Sue me cancel me. Like Judah, relax. Um, and, And one of my kids came to me and said, dad, I don't understand what I'm reading. I can't do this. I said, listen to me. And some of you won't like this, but bear with me. I said, it's a magical book. Listen to what I'm telling you. I don't care if you don't understand it. It's supernatural. You put it on audio and just listen to it. It'll do something in the part of your body that doesn't need it to make sense. It's a supernatural phenomenon. These books are, these words are spirit and life. They are magical by nature. And I know we don't like that concept of magic, okay? But I say that only because it makes more sense in modern context. It is truly, it is is mystical. It's mysterious and it's powerful. When you just digest his teachings even subconsciously, It will do something in your body. That's how powerful his words still are. (laughs) Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says, for they shall inherit the earth. Now we could talk for the next hour just about that one phrase and what it really means in context, but I'm not even saying you necessarily need that for the Bible says his spirit will instruct you in all ways concerning Jesus. Sometimes you just need to hear Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount. You just need to hear, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the earth. I don't even know what that means, but it's going into my soul. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough. So don't, you, don't read your Bible to understand it all. Who told you you were going to understand it all? Some preacher who wasn't being honest. You're never going to understand it all. And the next time somebody asks you a Bible question, let them know ahead of time, I don't understand it all. But here's the thought. That's how we ought to talk. Because the words have so much mystical, mysterious meaning. It is beyond our comprehension. But nonetheless, his teachings are unlike any other. I love the teachings of Jesus. Second reason I believe Jesus is God, and we're not going over these in depth, so bear with me, but I hope that they at least uh, uh, exhilarate your taste buds, your spiritual taste buds, and you'll go back and and chew on this, which is a really bizarre word picture. I don't know why I'm doing that. But anyways, you go back and kind of dig into this mystical book it's his teachings, but it's also his track record. I've been really caught up with Jesus' track record lately. His track record, which is a really interesting time to consider track record. Track record is, um, well, the, the internet has decided to investigate all of our track records. Have you noticed? It's an interesting time because I grew up wanting to be a preacher, and I don't mean this in any, I hope this doesn't you know, discourage you, but none of my kids want to be preachers because of technology, because the track record is difficult these days. We will go back in time. The internet never forgets. So track record is something that is under incredible scrutiny these days. Now, that's something I signed up for. I don't think my kids will. Being a public figure is unlike it's ever been before. I get confronted by people I don't even know. They walk up to me and they will confront me to my face in front of my family. It's wild, it's wild. About things I'm not even involved in, they just assume. It's the life I live, I love it, I love you, I love this city, I'm down, it's all good. But man, it's hard to watch a movie on a plane without getting judged, but that's beside the point. I've had a few people stop by my chair and say, what are you watching, Pastor? And I'm like, it's not TV mature, oh wait, it is. You know, whatever. So it's an unusual time, track record. All right, we want to talk track record? What a wonderful time to talk about track record. You want to talk about Jesus' track record? His track record is so extraordinary that Pilate, when trying to ask the mob what to do with Jesus, Pilate, whose only loyalty is to Rome and the emperor, Pilate, whose whole job is to make Rome look good and the emperor, emperor look great, Pilate says to the mob that's in a frenzy, frothing at the mouth for the crucifixion of the Christ, and he literally says, I... I find no guilt in this man. Which is to say, I can't find anything he's done wrong. Why are you calling for his crucifixion? Do you want Bar Jesus? Do you want Bar Abbas, Bar Jesus? Do you want the insurrectionist? Do you want the murderer? Do you want the revolutionary who's caused pain to your family and your friends and your loved ones and your neighbors? Or do you want me to crucify Jesus who has loved women and children and cared for your sick and your dying? Pilate says, what are you doing? Why are you forcing me to crucify a man who I cannot find one thing he has done wrong? Oh, you want to talk about track record? You want to talk about track record? (laughs) Jesus' track record? How about the thief on the cross? Same day, same day. Thief on the cross who's hanging next to Jesus. They're both dying by slow suffocation, which means every word you spoke while being crucified was excruciating. And yet one of the thieves is so persuaded that the man up under the same death penalty is God that he says, to the other thief who's mocking him, and that thief makes sense to me. That guy does. Not so much this guy, but that guy. Meaning, bro, if you're God, what are you doing being pinned to a tree? I mean, honestly, you, you can't be God if this is what you're doing. And yet, the other thief saw something so mystical and powerful and magnanimous about this man that he leans over in excruciating pain and he says, have you no good sense? This man has done nothing wrong. How do you know that? How do you know that? He's done nothing wrong. So much so, the man is so persuaded. He says, I believe that you control the afterlife, sir. I believe that you are the God of this life and the next. I believe that you are the eternal God. So take me there when you go. And Jesus says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. The man was not moral. The man was not religious. The man was never in the synagogue. The man did not know the Torah. The man did not have a Bible reading plan. The man wasn't 12 days behind. He didn't have a Bible reading plan. And yet in one moment of receptivity, he is completely saved. Lest you think Christianity is about moralism and who you vote for. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Oh, how about, how about this? How about, don't kids know? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of you adults, I love you, but kids don't trust you, and neither do I. Do you know what I'm talking about? You ever had, like, a kid, and they're like, ah, and they hand it to somebody else, and they're like, ah, oh. and you're like, man, kids, know. kids, know. Moms bringing their babies. Jesus never announced he was having a kissing baby day. Moms just spontaneously trusting their children in the lap of Jesus. So much so, it was so cumbersome and it was so inconvenient that the, you know, the security guards, I mean, the disciples said, you got to go, ladies, take your babies away. And Jesus said, what did you say to those women? We told the moms, they got to go. You are not Santa Claus. And Jesus said, not only do I want you to stop talking, but unless you become like one of these babies, you'll never understand what I'm doing and who I am. Even the babies knew we can trust this guy. We can trust this guy. Even the moms knew I got to get my baby close to him for maybe he'll bless my child because his track record is perfect. It said, I think one passage says that they tried to come up with stories about Jesus and his weaknesses or proclivities, or, but they, they were, I think Mark's gospel says, but they were inconsistent. For many bore false witness against him, Mark fourteen fifty-six. but their testimony did not agree. Sure didn't, because he was perfect. He was perfect. The babies knew, the mamas knew, the thief knew, and Pilate knew. Do you know? Do you know his track record? He was perfect, he wasn't just good. In fact, he's so good, he's the only good. Nowadays, you know, we, we don't, good isn't, isn't good anymore. We gotta be great, because we all went good to great. But back in Jesus' day, only God was good. That's why when somebody called him good teacher, he said, you just called me good, only God is good, no one is good but God, you called me God. Jesus is good, he's good to his core. He can only do good because he is only good and there is no bad in him. He is perfect. He is just. He is true. He is honest. He is the only fully integrated human in history. Integrated comes from the word integrity or integrity comes from integrated, which means he was fully aligned in every way. Do you ever disagree with yourself? Do you ever get conflicted within yourself? Jesus was fully integrated. Tempted like you and me, but fully integrated. His track record was perfect. That's why Paul writes to the Corinthians in his second letter. He says, see, he who knew no sin, he whose track record was perfect, had the opportunity to choose whether or not he would become our sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I know Jesus is God because he taught like nobody else and his track record was flawless by all accounts. And those who attempted to tarnish his track record were found to be conflicted and inconsistent in their stories. He's perfect. He's perfect. And lastly, it's not just his teachings. It's not just his track record. You knew where I was going. If can you think of the other T? It's his tomb. It's his tomb. Did you know in Jesus' day, um, it was almost uh, required, unless you had no money, to buy a tomb, very early in someone's life, you would buy a tomb. And that tomb would be a reminder, by the way, that you would lay there soon. It was an interesting exercise in antiquity. Most people had tombs. Do you know Jesus never bought a tomb? Mary never bought Jesus a tomb. Joseph never bought Jesus a tomb. Because he didn't need a tomb to buy, he just needed a tomb to borrow. He never owned a tomb. He just used Joseph's tomb. Not his dad, but a wealthy man. He borrowed his tomb. And there he laid, and all the accounts are the same as his teaching, his track record, his tomb. We have more proof that the tomb was empty than some of our forefathers in this brand new country that we live in, one of the youngest countries we are, America. We speak so freely of Abraham Lincoln and George Washington and Adams and all. We have more proof that the tomb of Jesus was empty, that his teachings were transcendent, and his track record was perfect. I'm not here today to discuss whether or not the Garden of Eden was metaphor or literal. Do with it what you will. You know what I believe, but the point is, I came today to discuss, celebrate, and declare a historical fact. There was a man named Jesus. His teachings were transcendent. His track record was flawless. And his tomb is empty. All other world religions, they go to visit the grave of the great prophet or the great teacher. To this day, they don't know for sure where the tomb was. I think that was divine. I don't believe Christianity is about going to a tomb where Jesus died. It's about living with Jesus, for he is alive. I'm going to go to Israel, and I can't wait to go. But these 43 years, I've walked with the man. I will go to, there. to be honest, there are three popular places that are, are equally considered to be the two. Three. I'll go to all three. But I know where he is. He's right here. <laughs> and he is alive. He said he would you got to understand what the tomb is. And I'm going to talk about this next at the 11 a.m. But you got to understand what the tomb is. The, to, without the tomb, we're still locked in a room scared for our life. That's where the Christians were on Silent Saturday. Scared of what, what might become of their life because of their faith in Jesus. But their emotional disposition and their worldview was completely altered when the story began to proliferate amongst the people that in fact the tomb was empty. Many followers and devout listeners began to recall that his teachings actually were filled. He said a seed must go into the ground and die. Though it can, it will bud and bear much fruit they started to realize that there was metaphor and phrases and statements and then of course the 12 were privy to private intimate moments where jesus came out with it in plain language and said i will die but on the third day i will rise again why did he rise again because he wanted to prove once and for all all of my teachings all of my track records all of my self claims are true. For I have completed what I said I would do. The tomb is empty. It's empty. <laughs> and so now, listen, I'm almost done. The music's playing softly. Put... Now, the story is true. And if the story is true, it's the most important thing in the world. Wait, God has been here? Yes, he has. How did God come with fingertips, lips, and hips? He came as a human. Tell me more. He was unheard of for 30 years. God was in physical form and was hidden away with a stepdad working in the wood shop for 30 years. Yes, and the mystery grows. What was he doing? We don't know. Did he make chairs? Probably. Did he sand the top of the desk? Probably. Did his dad ask him to work late hours? Did he feel tired? Probably. Did he complain? Definitely not. Is he the kid that you wanted to have? Yes, 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 yes. yes. Let's take a stop for a moment and all parents everywhere just go, how nice it would be. And slightly overwhelming to be like, Jesus, God, get in here. Oh my God, not you, Jesus, you, and also him, right? I mean, a little, little overwhelming. but. Think think, think of this story. Think of it like you'd never heard it before. Think of it like you just got here. Think of it like it's news. Think of it like it's good news. Think of it like it's breaking news. Think of it like it's on Fox or CNN or CNN or Fox. Whichever you worship at, I mean, listen to. Whichever, Whichever outlet you need to pick your side. Imagine breaking news. God's here. He's 30. And we're just hearing about him? Where's he been? He was born of a virgin. Where? I never heard of that city. What's he been doing? He's been working with wood and stuff. His dad's a carpenter. Well, stepdad technically, I guess. What's he been doing? Well, now he's going town to town and he's just, he's telling them about life and meaning. And then he's, to prove that he's true, he's, he's, he's doing the unthinkable. He's, he's touching people that don't get touched. He's caring for people who aren't cared for. He's, he's healing the sick. He's opening deaf ears. He's opening blind eyes. He's wait, this is happening, right? It's happening right now. He's doing it. He's, you got to come see it. It's, it's, it's wild. And then, and then three, just three years, even a president gets four years, just three years, three years. He, he, he gets to the end and he Pilate says, don't you understand? I have the power to crucify you. Tell me who you are. He says, sir, you have no power unless it was given to you by God. Do you not think I could call down legions of angels to save me? No one takes my life. I lay it down. I find no fault in him. Crucify him. Okay, but for the record, I wash my hands of this. May his blood, the crowd said, may his blood be on us and our children. Yes, may it be. They didn't even know what they were saying. For God would go to a cross and his perfect blood would be spilt. So all the, oh, the convoluted, self-serving, sinful blood that pulsates through my body and yours could be forgiven and made right with God. And there he hung for six hours, suffocating in his blood as he hung on a tree that he made. And he hung by nails and he, invented, and he created men who invented the nails. And he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. It's not like in our English Bibles. He didn't say it once, he said it over and over over and over and over father they don't know what they're doing forgive them and so the father heard the son's prayer and while he was borrowed while he was buried in a borrowed tomb he the Christians huddled together in a locked room scared for their lives and then two ladies came back and said he's not there He's risen, and they said, yeah, right. It's a fairy tale. And they basically said, you'll see. And then two disciples had a foot race. And so it began. By the time Jesus levitates into the clouds, there are hundreds of people watching him float into the clouds and he said I'll be back soon now soon is not our soon it's his soon because all of history is like a few days and so when he says soon and we say soon we say microwave soon he says eternal soon so the soon is relative but he says I'll be coming back you know So people ask me, what are you you doing? What's church home doing? Why aren't you, why aren't we doing church like we always did, Judah? Why are you gone so much? What are you doing? What's the board thinking? I'm acting like Jesus rose from the dead church. I felt like the other day Jesus said I want you to act like I'm God I say yes sir see I must we must we must take this message and this story to the ends of the earth we cannot stay in rooms we cannot be defined by rooms without the resurrection Christians would still just be in rooms For right before the tomb was recognized as emptied and borrowed, the Christians were scared in a room. And I felt like Jesus told me, son, I rose from the grave so that my worshipers, my sons and my daughters and my followers would not stay scared in a room. And so church home, I never loved you more, but I will not let this church be defined by a room in Rose Hill. I cannot and the board is with me and the staff is with. we're going to take this story to the ends of the earth because it's true and if it's true let's act like it's true let's live like it's true let's wake up like it's true let's sleep at night like it's true Let's face our pain like it's true. Let's face cancer like his resurrection is true. Whether in this life or the next, we win. For though we die, we shall live forever with him. Let us live in this brief stay on earth like the resurrection is true. For it is, Jesus has revealed himself fully. God has revealed himself fully in the person of Jesus. Did you know that there's a scripture in the New Testament that literally says, if Jesus isn't resurrected of all people, we are most pitiful. We're pitiful because we are here celebrating what's dead. But I have good news. We're not pitiful because of him we're powerful because of him life seems like god can do anything i wrote a friend yesterday and i said i said he said i only have time for faith people i said here's what it is you you got to be around god can do anything kind of people you got to be around god can do anything kind of people because his track record proves he can i need people who believe god can do anything God is not limited to an auditorium. God is not limited just to a worship band. God is not limited just to one preacher. God can do anything. God is doing miracles all over the earth. God is revealing his his glory. He's revealing the content of his character all over the earth. And we get to play a small role in a small part. Let's act like he's God. Let's act like the tomb is empty because it is. And he is alive and he's active and he's involved in our everyday life. No matter how impossible, no matter how difficult, no matter how bleak and and, and unlikely it seems right now, I believe God can do anything, you know. God can do anything, you know. Do you know? (laughs) Come on, church. He's bigger than your cul-de-sac. He's bigger than your career. He's bigger than your pain. He's bigger than your bills. He's, he's, he's God. And so we're going to live like he's God. That's what we're going to do. We're going to live like he's God. So, so what happens now is the way all of this happened, this, this wasn't a production originally. This was Christians getting together and singing the Holy Scripture. That's how it started. And by the way, we have ancestors who in different different times and different continents and different countries were completely oppressed, were hunted down and targeted, were enslaved. And yet in the midst of it all, in the midst of the pain and the injustice of thousands of years of Jesus followers, if you look at our ancestors and you look at our brothers and sisters gone past, what they would do is they didn't sing because they liked the latest worship album. They sang like their life depended on it. Because without Jesus, life was flat. Because without Jesus, life was oppression. Because without Jesus, life was death. But Jesus gave our ancestors the life and the strength they needed to take another step and live another day and trust that Jesus was in control. And someday soon they'd be home. So we're going to sing today, not just because Amanda and the band is here, but we're going to sing today because he's God. And without him, my life is hollow like an Easter chocolate bunny. We need him. There is a part of this journey that only begins to blossom when desperation takes root in your soul. There's a part of this journey where the lights turn on, when there is a total surrender. Where you come to a place where you say, God, without you, I can do nothing. God, without you, my life is hollow and empty. Without you, all I have is money. Or without you, all I have is career. Without you, no, but with you, I have purpose. With you, I have love. With you, I have forgiveness. With you, I have belonging. With you, I have a family. With you, I have a purpose. With you, I have a direction. With you, I have a path. So that's how I want us to sing today. That's how I want us to sing today, with desperation, with surrender, letting go. God, you're everything. Come on, some of you know what you've been through. I look at the Brahmans. I look at the Sandbergs. I could go through this room, what God did with our families, what God's done with our children, what God did with our grandchildren. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's been true to you. He'll be true to your children. He'll be true to your grandchildren and your grandchildren's children. Woo! Come on. If you're willing and able, would you stand with me just before the band begins to sing? Man. Here's what we're going to do. Right before we start singing and we join, and I feel like preaching at the very end. It's like Judah, my goodness. But here's what I'm going to say. We're going to join a chorus of an eternal, a choir in eternity. There is a choir in eternity. It's a great cloud of witnesses. And there in eternity, there is perpetual singing. There is perpetual dancing. There is perpetual celebration of the king who sits on the throne, who the earth is his ottoman, and he laughs at his enemies and all that oppose him. And so we're gonna sing to that king. We're gonna honor that king. We're gonna think about that king. We're gonna dwell on that king. He's got a crown on his head he's got fire in his eyes and his feet are perfect he is righteous true and just and we're going to sing to that king but just before we do just before we do if you're here and you want that king to be the king of your life you want that king to be your superhero you want that king to save you and rescue you you know what it takes it takes one simple response remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me, King. Remember me, King. Remember me, King. If you want the King to remember you, if you want the King to walk with you, if you want the King to be your Savior, on the count of three all over this auditorium or anyone watching, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand and put it right back down. All it takes is one moment of receptivity. If you want that King to be your King, you want that Savior to be your Savior right now in the name of Jesus. One, two, three, if that's you, will you shoot your hand up and say, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. Thank you for these hands. God, I thank you for every hand. I thank you for every heart. I thank you for every soul. You saved completely. You saved totally. You forgive us our past, our present, and our future sins, for we are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and we thank you for that.